Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When we journey through our lives, we often find ourselves keep uh, continuing to look for freedom. As Americans, we already enjoy incredible freedom, so much so we often do not appreciate the freedoms that we have. And even more so, as Christians, we have freedoms that even surpass our human understanding, since Jesus has rescued us from bondage to sin, death, and the devil, when he paid for our sins on the cross, rose from the dead, opened the gates of heaven to all who believe, and called us by his gospel. Despite having these freedoms already, we often find ourselves looking for more. Youth look for freedom from their parents' supervision. Many head to college thinking that they are finally free from the rules and control that their parents had placed over them. Many desire to be free from the rules of the workplace. Many look forward to the day when they can be free with their schedules in retirement so that they can do what they want whenever they want. Many think that a big paycheck or a large retirement account means freedom. And some love the feeling that tobacco or alcohol or graver substances give because it makes them feel like they are now free from whatever trials or concerns that they are facing. Some who have bound themselves to their spouses in holy matrimony are now seeking freedom from that, from that bounding in marriage that they want separation or divorce. Even some parents are wishing for freedom that they do not have to raise their children any longer. Many think that the Supreme Court is whittling away freedoms by stating that abortion is not a right protected under the Constitution. For many want to have any type of sexual activity that they want and to be free from any types of burdens or responsibilities or consequences that may come along with it. While we may think that some sins bring freedom, they never do. There may be immediate consequences. There may be scars that a person will face physically or emotionally for years, if not for the rest of their lives. And even if we've gotten away with certain sins seemingly scot-free in this life, the reality is we still do face that great day of judgment. We enjoy or, and love the freedoms that we have in this country. Yet these freedoms that we enjoy can only continue when our citizens embrace strong family units and values, along with a strong sense of morals and de decency. When these begin to erode, so do our freedoms. We would like to think that we can do whatever we want in a free country, unfettered from regulations and laws. But when our neighbors begin to suffer from us abusing these freedoms, that's when the government steps in and regulates. The Weights and Measures Division in Missouri exists because there are people who abuse their freedom in commerce and try to cheat the scales. 
hence we are left with regulation as fraud or abuse or immorality hurt more people then comes increasing regulation then that supposed freedom in sin or vice becomes a greater burden not just to the one committing it but to all people Ultimately, our sins are a burden that will be addressed on that great day of judgment when Jesus returns in glory. And we must not, as Christians, fear that day as if God is planning to send us straight to hell for our many sins. Instead, we must view that day in light of Jesus, who is our good shepherd and is our great high priest. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, as Jesus himself taught us. That's why sinners and tax collectors did not shy away from Jesus, but they drew near to hear Jesus. That's why these sinners were more than willing to listen intently to the words of Jesus, who has the words of eternal life. For in Christ, they received a freedom that their riches would never be able to give them. And they also received a freedom that their sins could never grant them through Christ. They will not be judged guilty on the last day, but as believers in Christ, they will be declared innocent for they believed in him who took away their sin through his all-sufficient sacrifice on the cross. Jesus forgave these sinners and tax collectors and declared them to be righteous in Christ. Some, however, figured the gospel could not be granted to those who are viewed as greedy or to those who were swindlers or to the cheats or the adulterers or the fornicators. The Pharisees and scribes grumbled at Jesus for receiving sinners and tax collectors and eating with them. And so Jesus, he tells them a series of parables, three of them. Two of them, we just heard the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. And the third parable is perhaps the most famous and loved, and that is the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus teaches these parables to address the Pharisees and scribes grumbling and complaining and teaching them truths concerning his kingdom. Jesus is teaching that the sinners and tax collectors who drew near to Jesus to hear him had belonged to him. But then, for whatever reason, they became lost. And now they are found. These sinners and tax collectors were part of God's family, added to his fold by grace through faith, and then they fell out of God's grace, walking in a manner that is contrary to God's word. Their sinful choices meant that they had been on the path to hell, but the Lord had mercy on them. He sought them out. He brought them back to his fold. The Lord called them to repentance, that they would plead guilty of their sin and turn from their sinful ways toward the Savior, who offers them forgiveness and reconciles them to their Father in heaven. It is true, as I've stated, we all will face judgment day. As Christians who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we will be counted as sheep, 
and Jesus will say to us, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For Jesus will receive us sinners. He will eat with us. In fact, he does so even now. For we are already members, by God's grace, of his family through baptism, and we are invited to feast with Jesus in the Lord's Supper. In contrast to the Pharisees and the scribes grumbling and complaining, Jesus says that there is joy in heaven among the angels of God when the sinners repent. And this teaches us several important things. First, the church has an obligation to call sinners to repentance. While many would prefer to continue their wayward ways, not recognizing the value of Christ's forgiveness, the church must do the uncomfortable task of bringing them back. Consider a sheep that could have been lost or caught and stuck in a bog, and the shepherd uses his staff to hook that sheep by the neck and drags it in to safety. That sheep wouldn't like what was happening to it at the moment during its rescue, but it would be necessary and it would bring about that sheep's saving. And in the same way, many do not want to be accused of their sin through the law or dragged back to Christ's fold through repentance. However, the result is good, for the sheep is saved and, and sinners are brought into the safety of Christ's church, where Jesus freely and fully forgives them and restores them. Unfortunately, though, many Christians feel it is their obligation to protect the wayward from the church, the very opposite of what Christ would have. They do so for reasons that they think are well-intended. Maybe they're afraid that the wayward sinner's feelings will get hurt. Maybe they feel that that person who's now wayward still stands in the grace of God, even when they don't. Or maybe they figure if the church approaches that wayward sinner, that person will never return. For they do not understand the gravity of the impenitent sin, that those sins are leading to eternal condemnation. Let us not find ourselves falling into these snares of Satan. We never help people when we see them caught up in sin and then figure it is best for them to allow in it, to protect them from the working of the church. For the church is here, for the addict, for the adulterer, for the abortionist, you name it. When we love them in Christ, we will want them to enjoy the freedom from sin that only Christ can provide. Second, this means that the gospel is not limited to certain people who have the best outward behavior. Jesus didn't just die for the person who is the best at the game of charades as the Pharisees thought that they were. The church doesn't exist so people can put on their best show of behavior Instead, the church is a hospital for sinners like you and me. We gather in God's house, bringing with us that week's worth of burdens and cares, our many sins, and we go home justified, forgiven, for God declares us righteous in the absolution, 
He strengthens our faith through the proclamation of the word, and he feeds us his body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins in Holy Communion. The thought that Jesus would fellowship with sinners and tax collectors left a bitter taste in the Pharisees' mouths. When we look around and see a congregation full of repentant sinners, we are not repulsed by anyone who has chosen to present himself here. Provided that all live in repentance, turning from their sins, we rejoice that sinners have gathered here in Christ's church, for it is the very place where they need to be. It is the place where we need to be. For Jesus is present to bless us with his forgiveness and righteousness. Third, we joyfully receive back the wayward sinners who repent. Consider that great joy that the woman had when she found her one coin that had been lost. She gathers her friends and her neighbors together and she says, rejoice with me. Or consider that shepherd who finds the lost sheep. He also gathers his neighbors and friends saying, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Instead of being angry at the sheep for the coin for or, or the coin for getting lost by dwelling in the past, there's joy over their present state being restored through the gospel. Our congregation witnessed this type of restoration and joy earlier this year. As you may be aware, a member of our congregation had not been to our church for something like 15 years. And this past winter, she lost the function of her legs making her basically bedridden. Really, God had placed her where she needed to be. She received the word with joy. She repented. She heard that gospel. She received the body and blood of Christ for the first time in who knows how many years. And after fighting several health issues for several months, our church gave her a Christian burial. The funeral reception was huge, and I recognize it was a lot of work for a number of our ladies in our congregation. And I'm sure some noticed that she had not been present to help with the many funerals leading up to her own. It would have been easy to become a little bitter like the Pharisees were when Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors. But instead, as we hear in this gospel, Jesus calls on us to be joyful, for a sinner has repented, a sheep added back to Christ's fold, and what a blessing that is. Jesus' words cannot be emphasized enough when he said, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. As forgiven Christians who have received Christ's bleeding, dying love, we ought to be filled with joy. The divine service is joyful because Christ himself is present and he is feeding us. He is feeding us his word and the sacrament. We receive Christ in his body and his blood. The same way studying the scriptures ought to be joyful, for in them we hear the words of eternal life. And finally, through these means, the word and the sacraments, 
that we have true freedom. We have freedom in Christ. While we may find ourselves continually looking for various types of freedoms, we must recognize the freedom that we now have in this saving gospel of Christ. When baptized in the name of our triune God, we are joined to Christ. We die to sin and we rise to newness of life. We now belong to him, freed from our sins, freed from our pasts, and even freed from the pollution that we may have received by other people's sins. Therefore, when the Son of God sets us free, we are free indeed. And so we abide in God's word, and we know the truth, and that truth sets us free. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. Thank you.